Betsy's gone. Okay. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 18, this charge I commit you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you wage the good warfare. Now, how are you going to remember the prophecy that was made over you if you don't have a tape recording of it? You see what happens is I prophesy over Daniel and he forgets 98% of what I told him. And within 30 days, he's forgot 100% of what I've told him. And then it's gone. Now Joseph, it took Joseph two years for the prophecy to come to pass. So two years down the line, Daniel has forgotten what was prophesied over him two years in the past. So it doesn't help him. He can't wage the good war. If you're going to wage a good warfare, you need to have a tape recorded. Every prophecy ever made over me has been tape recorded. And every now and again, me and Julie play it back. And she says, glory to God, Pastor Tim. Because she's now started calling me pastor as well. She says, Pastor Tim, do you see what was said over you five years ago? And I said, well, I'm hearing it now for the first time. I'm remembering it. She says, you see, it's coming to pass in your life now. It's taken five years. Five years for that prophecy to come to pass. I had forgotten about it. There's prophecies that were made five years ago of a Julie sister that still hasn't come to pass. Come on. The woman's still not saved. I call her saved. Spirit-filled, tongue-speaking. It still hasn't come to pass, stage one. Not always do you get a prophecy on Sunday morning about Tuesday afternoon the Pope's been re-elected. That was just a sign for the unbelievers in the congregation. That was merely a sign from God to those who didn't recognize me as a prophet. That was it. Now let me just share something with you quickly. For a long time, up until about two weeks ago, I would tell everybody I'm not a prophet. You all remember that. I would say, I'm not a prophet. Don't call me a prophet. And I'd actually rebuke some people who called me a prophet. I'd say, I'm not a prophet. And then the Lord got onto me. And man, did he get onto me bad. He said, don't you dare call yourself something not, which I said you are. He said, I ordained you. No man called you a prophet. I called you a prophet. You do what I called you. I said, yes, Lord. I'll shut up. And from that moment when I made that decision, I've had a dream every single night. I've had visions all the time. Let me tell you about this vision I had yesterday. I found Vonda and I said, Vonda, glory to God, I've got to share this with Vonda because she's always having dreams and visions and we're throwing things backwards and forwards in the net. Between the three of us, we get, well, we get so excited. And if anybody else wants to join in, please do it because I know there are more than one person in the church who has dreams and visions like we do and doesn't share it with us. Hey, Miss Philomena. So I phoned Vonda and I said, Vonda, someone's praying for the church. She said, why? I said, because this house is full of angels right now, and they're rejoicing. They're praising God. They're just going crazy. And I said, the Lord just took me in the spirit over Carrollton, and I saw angels pouring down like locusts, hundreds, thousands, pouring into Carrollton. And she said, you know, Pastor, I had this dream a couple of, I don't know, a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago. And she said, I just saw the swarm of locusts coming like an army. And the next thing I see, the all angels pouring. I'm thinking, glory to God, woman, why didn't you share this with me then? So her dream, her vision took place months, weeks, whatever, mine took place now but they both dovetail exactly the same man exciting stuff sunday morning she said she saw a dream she saw a vision of little devils going like this on the outside of the walls hammering the walls throwing a tantrum because they couldn't come in now how many of us saw that vision probably if you did a poll a whole bunch of people saw and no one thought anything about it there's things happening, we're all seeing, but we're not talking to each other about it. We need to treat the netta as the center of the hub. And phone her and say, man, I had a dream, I had a vision. Let her write it down. And when we come together on a Wednesday night or a Friday night or a Sunday morning, we talk about these things and we see how many other people had the same vision and dream. Then you'll be surprised that God will give Wilhelmina part A, Roy part B, Danetta part C, Vonda part D, Part E to Patsy, F to Craig, G, H, and I, J, K. And when you put it all together, it's like, man, this whole thing came together. I took the youth one night. Eight of them. Five supposedly saved. Three definitely not saved. And I said, close your eyes, and we're going to pray that the Lord gives us a sermon. And I said, now open your eyes, and I'm going to start from one, and I'm going to jump. 
and I jumped from one to two down the bottom there, three up there, four over here, five over there, seven over there. And I got a little piece of information from each one of them. And you know that in a sequence, as I jumped, so the next part of the sermon came together. And out of these eight kids, I got a complete teaching. And they looked at me and said, wow, pastor, that was awesome. You mean God speaks to me and I'm not even saved? How many of you think walked out there not saved that night? The problem is people get flaky with it. And they try to do the same thing and replicate the same thing without the anointing. And then we get out into the left field. Because then the Virgin Mary starts appearing to us. But let me tell you one thing. The Virgin Mary ain't no virgin. I hate to blow anyone's bubble. But after James was born, after Jesus, after James was born, she was no longer a virgin. It ain't going to happen. The Virgin Mary ain't no virgin. And let me tell you another second thing. A virgin Mary don't appear to us. Because she ain't a virgin. Oh, glory to God. Everyone missed the joke. The Virgin Mary cannot intercede on your behalf because the Bible says specifically only Jesus can. Now, there are those of us who are young in the Lord, in the Spirit, who will see things and you think, well, that's the Virgin Mary. No, it's not. Now, if you can't bounce it off the pastor, who are you going to bounce it off? Somebody else who's young in the Lord, who doesn't know what on earth, and they like, yeah, man, I saw Virgin Jack. And now Virgin Jack and Virgin Mary are getting together, and neither one of them are virgins anymore. And then we have a problem. And this, this is a joke. This is a funny story. But let me tell you about a situation that we had a pre-meeting that developed into a rebellion. Because we had Miriam and Aaron gathering for pre-meetings on a Friday night, and this thing just got totally out of hand. Because the pastor wasn't present, so we went off into left field and we got flaky. We have another lady, I'm on a board of directors, another board, I'm on a couple of boards, so I can say this with confidence. And all the boards have ladies, so it's okay. No one can isolate who I'm talking about, not that anyone you know her. And this lady prophesies over two kids, and then said, don't tell your mother. Come on. You don't prophesy over kids without the mother or the father's permission. Without the father's permission. Amen. You don't prophesy over kids without the father's permission. Glory to God. These two kids were so distraught, they wanted to commit suicide. That prophecy was a load of junk. Anything said or done in secret is not of God. Amen. Come on now. Amen. Let's go back to the original meaning of the word prophet. The original meaning of the word prophet comes from the sons of Eshekar. And the sons of Eshekar were men of burden who were burdened by the word of God. So a prophet has his nose in the word of God 24-7 if he could. Second thing about the prophet is he's a man of war. Kim Clement, ex-Special Forces soldier. Mark Bredenkamp, ex-Special Forces soldier. Any prophet out there who's a prophet has been in some sort of conflict, some stage in his life. That's in their personality, in their blood. They are warriors. Because the Word of God says they are mighty men of valor. The Word of God doesn't change. You don't find an accountant as a prophet. Unless in his previous life, in his testimony, he was a man of war. He was special forces somewhere. I've never yet met a prophet who wasn't a man of war. The next thing about a prophet is that they're very black and white. And they're very abrupt. I was joking about the evangelist prophet and the exhorter prophet. A prophet's black and white. It's to the point and he's hardcore. And he's abrupt. Or she's abrupt. Now, the sad thing is, a lot of people have misused this and say, well, I'm a prophet, that's why I'm abrupt. No, you're just a pain in the butt. Because I am polite and I am nice. Just not always. Yeah, I am polite and I am nice and you will say amen. Yeah, hallelujah. I was laughing at Big John. I was talking to him on the phone just before church and he said, he was gathering with one of the other guys and he says, who wants to argue with Pastor Tim? <laughs> he hasn't even met me yet and he's already saying, we ain't going to argue with Pastor Tim, glory to God. 
Now, hallelujah. Look what happens here in verse 19 of chapter 1 of Timothy. 1 Timothy 1 verse 19. Having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I deliver to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul delivered two men to Satan for blaspheming him. And people say, well, my God's a God of love. And, and if you serve the same God as me, you'd be nice all the time. Well, what, 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 what's happening with Paul? What's happening with Paul? Paul delivered two men to Satan for blaspheming him. I tried this once. Man, it's dangerous. It's really dangerous. Let me tell you, that person's life became shipwrecked very quickly. Don't mess with the Holy Spirit. Because you lose him, he's going to mess your life up. Don't mess with him. Don't want to tangle with the big boy. Don't tangle with the boss, man. Amen. First chapter 2. Therefore, why? Wherefore? Therefore, is in the middle of a sentence. He's still talking about Alexander and Hymus in chapter 2. This chapter 2 is some Gentile's way of breaking up a sentence in the middle of a sentence and breaking up a chapter. He's still talking about Alexander and Hymus in chapter 2 verse 1. Because you don't start a sentence with therefore. And Paul's not an idiot. He's an educated man. He's a learned man. He won't start a sentence with therefore. In the Greek, there's no commas. There's no apostrophes. There's no exclamation marks. So everything like that's been added. There's no chapters and there's no verses in the Greek. Amen. This was added by man. I exhort, I exhort, first of all, the supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for all kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God and our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ, not lying. I teach the Gentiles and faith and truth. And then he goes on to talk about women submitting. Amen. And in chapter 3 he talks about the position of a bishop. But what is, if you go back here in chapter 2, verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority. For kings, in other words, for presidents, prime ministers, statesmen, and all who are in authority. Who else is in authority besides the king? In ancient times, the priest. There was nobody else besides the kings, the magistrates, politicians. You see, there's something we've missed in the church. We've lost that submission to the authority of the pastor. Well, glory to God, he puts his legs, pants in one leg at a time, just like me. Yeah, but God doesn't see that, does he? God, Paul just jumped Hermanius and Alexander for not being in submission to the authority of the man of God. dangerous to be a free-range chicken and a prophet or a prophetic person or a person who has the anointing of the prophetic it's more dangerous because i do hear from god hey miriam i hear you i hear you miriam i too hear from god let's go back to the first book of corinthians And let's start, let's go back to verse 14, chapter 14. There's some things I want to... 14 verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. It's the most, it's the gift that Paul says desire earnestly. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift. 
But there's one very, very important requirement with that wonderful, wonderful gift. Well, actually, there's more than one. The one requirement is you've got your nose in the book. And when the prophecy doesn't line up with the book, then you shut up. The second requirement is that you're firmly grounded in a church. Because the Bible says all prophets must be subject to the prophet. In other words, you've got to be in a church with the other prophets. So you can prophesy in a comfort zone and be subject to somebody. And when I send you out to prophesy to somebody in another country as a missionary, then you, I need to be sure that you are submitted to me before I send you out there because I don't want you to go out there and get all flaky on me. I need to know that you're going to represent me and the church, not get flaky on me. Because you might change your name tomorrow, but I can't change the name of my ministry tomorrow. And if you out there getting flaky on me, then the ministry is just as flaky as all the other ministries out there are flaky. So you need to be firmly grounded in the Word, firmly grounded in submission, and not get into the flaky stuff. And we're all going to get into flaky areas if we're not grounded in the Word. Now, let's go a little bit further here. Verse 2, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. So speaking in tongues is important. Glory to God. But you're edifying God. Amen. And it's important to edify God. But we're not worried about edifying God too much in this context. We're now talking about missionaries in the field. And edifying God in the field is important, amen. But if you're in a missionary in a field, you are concerned with winning souls. So let's go a little bit further here. He who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. If you want to win missionaries in Pakistan, if you want to deal with these women who've been sexually abused all the time in Pakistan, glory to God, you better have something interesting to say to them that can edify them and exhort them and comfort them. Hallelujah. Everyone say amen. amen. Pick that battery up later. Alrighty, so now, verse 4 He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. If you're going to be a missionary representing this church, you need to be prophesying. So I need to know that you can prophesy when the spirit of prophecy comes upon you, that you can edify the church that I'm sending you to. You see, that's the scriptural way of doing things. Paul sent Timothy to represent him, and he says he's a faith, he's a son in the faith, and he will represent me. He's a man who understands my doctrine. If I'm going to send you off, glory to God, you better understand some things about me. Because I need to know that you're going to prophesy to edify the church and not yourself because this is not about you this is about Jesus and if you bring Jesus to this woman you're going to edify them and you're going to build them up but if you go in there and you've got this big head and you're all arrogant you're not going to build anybody up they're going to turn around and say man you're just another Yankee and we get plenty of Yankees in Africa and we know they come from the northern, northern part not the southern part because they speak funny they act funny, and man, they loud. Wow, you go to the airport, and there's some people from New York. They're so loud, they speak so loud. When I said to Julie, we're going to America, I said, oh, praise God, I hope Kentucky's in the southern states, because every time I've been to an international airport, I can spot the man from New York a mile off. He shouts on top of his voice, and nothing's ever good enough. We're sitting in Myrtle Beach at a restaurant. Amen. It was the, was the North and South Battle, Dollywood. Amen. Dixie Stampede. Yeah, Dixie Stampede. And of course, they serve chicken and eat with your hands. And it's all very closed up. And I've got Joshua on my lap. And lo and behold, two women sitting next to me. Guess where they're from? From New York. Man, and they start complaining. This is too tight. This is too small. This is too... I said, listen, woman, will you shut up? I don't want to know where you're from. I'm trying to watch the show. Now, you shut up or be moved. Well, I never. I said, well, now you did. Glory to God. The, the woman on the other side of them said, Man, you must be from Kentucky. I said, Why? She said, Because they're irritating me too. <laughs> I said, Oh, glory to God. Julie, people think I'm from Kentucky. 
I don't sound like it, I hope. But yeah, the people in the South were getting just as irritated as me by the people from New York. Amen. We don't want people out there edifying themselves. We've got enough on them on TV. We've got enough of them all over the world. We need some people to go out there and say, man, I want to prophesy to you in your life. For Jesus. Not about me. I got offered today, I got offered the opportunity of doing my doctorate of ministry with Southern Seminary. And I thought to myself, what's the point? What's the point of doing a doctorate degree? Am I going to impress any of you? I'm not going to impress me. I'm not going to impress Jesus. So what's the point? So I can be called the Reverend, Doctor, Prophet, Pastor, Evangelist. What's the point? There's got to be a... Education is important. Don't get me wrong. Education is important. But there's got to be a time when you think, well, what is the point of another degree? Amen? Unless I'm looking for a job somewhere in Atlanta, Georgia... For a 2,500 seated church and they're looking for a PhD, what's the point? Or a demon, what's the point? Amen. Well, hallelujah. Let's go. Verse 4. He who speaks in the tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues. Yes, amen, so do I. But even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater. Uh-oh. What are you saying, Paul? Are you saying one gift is greater? Well, it looks like he's saying it to me. He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Do you know what the definition of prophesying in the Vine's Expository Dictionary is? as to speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Prophetic utterance. An emotional state of prophetic utterance. Why did Jesus at age 12 not perform a single miracle or preach or prophesy anywhere? Because at age 30, He came out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended upon Him. And under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he spoke forth prophetic utterance. He prophesied, he preached. And preaching under the prophetic utterance, under the Holy Spirit, is inspired preaching. If you're standing behind a pulpit and you're not prophesying when you preach, you don't count anything. Someone said this to me today, and I agree. If you finish preaching and you're a good denominational man, you go stand at the door and people walk past and say, Well done, good sermon. You spoke to their soul. They walk out the door and say, Man, you know what you're talking about. You spoke to their spirit. Okay, it's a denominational church, not a spiritual church. Because that means you made them uncomfortable. You see, to speak to your soul, any monkey can do. But any donkey can prophesy. A donkey can prophesy under the Holy Spirit, but a monkey can preach. Because you can teach a monkey to push buttons on a computer and bring up a sentence. So therefore you can teach a monkey to push buttons on a computer and to preach to you onto that television screen. But you can't teach a donkey to do that. But a donkey can prophesy under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Anybody can preach a good sermon for 40 minutes and keep your attention with some nice little jokes and nice little quirks. And it sounds really great and it's fun and it's like, wow. That's really good. And you get up there and you feel, man, I'm inspired to go out there and make a million dollars. I've been motivated. It's a great motivational sermon. I'm going to do it. Wonderful. You've proved nothing. All you've proved to me is that you're an inspired, motivated speaker. But not anyone can stand behind the pulpit and preach like a prophet or prophesy. Except him who's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And when you preach under the influence of the Holy Spirit... I can throw my notes away. It means nothing. I don't need notes. But if I don't prepare a sermon, I'll get up there with nothing. And yet when I stood up here on Sunday morning with my sermon, God said, forget it. You're not preaching on that. Threw it away. 
Now I've seen preachers come up here and say, well, the Lord did this to me last week, so this week I'm not preparing anything. I'm going to stand up here. I'm going to pray, oh Lord, anoint me. I'm going to open the Bible, and I'm going to start preaching exactly where I come. And they stand there and they think, glory to God, what am I going to preach on now? You see, part of preaching is preparing the vessel that's going to be prophesying. And I'm using the word prophesying as inspired preaching. Man, Sunday nights in this church used to be boring. Because the vessel wasn't prepared. The vessel was intelligent, capable, but not prepared. Now we have a saying in South Africa, and it starts with P, poor planning, leads to P, poor performance. You can work out what the first P is. Bad planning leads to bad performance. I don't come in here at 5 to 5 and prepare a sermon for tonight. Sometimes you may think I do. But I spend hours and hours in prayer and study. And then the Lord gets me up and He crumples up my sermon and says, throw it away. But the vessel's being prepared to receive the word. Let's go a little bit further here. Verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether fruit or hop, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? That sounds like some of us. We make so much noise. We talk so much. It's just noise. Sunday morning, I preached for 30 minutes or less, and I said, okay, that's it, I'm going home now, I'm finished. And everyone looked at me like I was silly. But I said what I had to say. I could have preached for an hour after that, but what point would it have made? Everything after that would have been noise. Some of us don't know when to shut up, sit down and say, I've said what God wants me to say, it's now time to go home. When I'm finished, I sit down and say, listen, I'm finished. I've said what I need to say. Verse 9, So likewise, you... Unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand. That's another thing. Some of us like to throw these 17 syllable words in the sentence every now and again and look impressive and I think, man, oh man, give me a dictionary. How will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, but none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Now it gets exciting. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, my meaning is understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. I also sing with understanding. Amen. Amen. And then he goes on to say, verse 20. Let's skip a bit ahead here. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet... For all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not for those who believe, but to unbelievers. Prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Now, hold that thought. Hold that thought, because so many people have got stuck on there, and they said, well, in that case, you never prophesied to unbeliever. And then I stood up here in this very corner, and I prophesied to a boy who was an unbeliever, and I got rebuked privately afterwards because of that thought. The boy got saved as a result of my prophetic word. He got saved right there and then, fell on his face, started crying, gave his heart to the Lord, but I was rebuked because I prophesied to an unbeliever. Now, look at this, verse 24. If all prophesy and an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. This boy turned to me and said, How did you know my past? Only God could have told you what my own parents don't know to this day. Glory to God. Jesus is sitting under the tree. 
And Nathaniel comes along with Philip. And Philip says, and God, Jesus says to Philip, Oh, here comes a man who's righteous indeed. In other words, here comes a self-confident, self-righteous man. And he says to him, I saw you sitting under the tree. And he reads his mail and the man gets saved. Jesus prophesied to an unbeliever. And the man got saved. Prophesying is a gift of evangelism, of evangelizing the lost, that is so powerful. And yet, what do we do? We get these little cards. Step one, introduce yourself. Hey, Rhonda, my name's Pastor Tim. What's your name? Go away. I haven't got time for you. I'm married. Where do I sit now? Well, now I can't get to step two because step one's been short-circuited. Hey, you were abused as a child, weren't you? That's still bothering you. Let me talk about that. <sighs> now I've got her attention. Now she wants to hear more. Now she couldn't care who I am. A prophet does not have to be polite to grab your attention. Sometimes we try to evangelize people by being polite. But let me, let me tell you about the Lord Jesus. Go away, I've heard about him. Let me tell you about your grandson. Which one? Jack. What do you know about Jack? Well, let me tell you. Man, now I've got her attention. Now I can speak to her. You see, God knows what I need to get Daniel's attention. Sometimes it's a slap on the forehead to get Daniel's attention. God knows what I need to get your attention. Don't waste your time introducing yourself. Get straight to the point and get the person's attention. You've got one sentence to get their attention. And if you waste that one sentence with introduction, you know what I'm going to think? If you come to me as an introduction of yourself, I'm going to tell you, I don't want timeshare. I've got a cell phone, I've got a car, and I've got a mortgage, and leave me alone. Because people are always trying to tell me, tell me timeshare, a second mortgage, a cell phone or a credit card, and I've got all that. I don't want that. People are always trying to sell me that junk. You've got one sentence to grab my attention, and if you can't get it in the first sentence, you've lost my attention. I'm not interested. I'm going to tell you to leave me alone. I switched off after the first sentence. Now you come to me and tell me something about my mother or my son, you've got my attention. Now God knows this because He created us. So He's going to come to you and say, Craig, I want you to go and tell David something about Micah. David's going to pay attention. Quickly. Now if Craig goes and tries to lead David to the Lord and says, my name's Craig and I think I should tell you about Jesus, David's going to say, don't waste my time. I've got welding to do. Get out of my life. You're boring me. And that's why we're trying to catch fish one hook at a time. One hook at a time. Because we don't have a net to grab people's attention with. We don't have any bait to pull people into church. People, how many of you have dreams at night and not know what they mean? Just put your hands up. Patsy, put your hand up. Amen. And yet... You never come and ask me what they mean. Now, if you're sitting here have dreams and don't know the meaning of them, how many people out there who have dreams don't know what they mean? And you know that I have the gift of interpreting dreams. How did Joseph get Pharaoh's attention but through interpreting dreams? Why did God give Joseph the dream interpretation gift but to get Pharaoh's attention? Amen. Do you want to tell me that President George Bush does not have dreams at night? And who does he consult? Kim Clement. Kim Clement, the prophet, is an advisor to President George Bush. Amen. And who's an advisor to Pharaoh? Joseph, the dream interpreter. Now, if you go out there and you say to your friends and family, do you have any dreams? They say, oh, yeah, I had this weird dream last night, and I went and bought a book on dream interpretation. But man, I don't understand this book of dream interpretation. Well, guess what? Our pastor can interpret that dream for you. Really? Maybe I should go and see him. What does he charge? No, it's for free. Really? Well, I don't really believe in God. Well, God see Him anyway. He'll interpret the dream for you. That's an evangelism tool. That's a powerful evangelism tool. woman comes to Julie. She's got a knot on her back and 
But one hand's all swollen. And she's, man, look at this. I'm going to the doctors. I don't know what to do. Julie says, go see the pastor. He'll pray for you to get healed. Yeah, but I've tried other pastors and nothing happened. Julie says, well, this pastor, that will definitely happen. See, God gives us opportunity to evangelize the lost, to be fruitful, to bring our loved ones into church, and we walk straight slap dab past the opportunity, and we try and tell the person about Jesus, as opposed to trying to grab the person's attention and getting them into church, where they can experience that power firsthand. And prophesying is one of those gifts that we're not supposed to be afraid of it. We're supposed to embrace it. We're supposed to embrace the gift. Every single person on this planet right now would like to know what the future holds for them without fail. If it wasn't the case, the witchcraft wouldn't be out there like it is. We wouldn't have gypsies with their crystal balls and palm readers. I said when I first arrived in the country, this one couple took me to every single flea market for a two-hour drive radius from here. Two hours from Carrollton, outside, I've been to every flea market, I can guarantee you. Every flea market. And every flea market I went to had one fortune teller. And I said one day, glory to God, I'm going to rent a little booth and put a signboard up here. I will tell you your future for, f for free. You see how many people have got saved. And I was serious. If God told me to do that, I will have people saved just like that. And I won't have to do anything. Because the Holy Spirit will bring them under conviction. I'll just say, Lord, here I am, use me. And if God told me to do that, man, oh man. Let me just imagine what's going to happen to those people. Glory to God. Well, Pastor, that's arrogant. Now I've got a big daddy. And he's never yet let me down. There's one man in Carrollton. He's so afraid of me. I have no idea. What, I do know why he's afraid of me. I shook his hand one day. And as I shook his hand, I read his past him. And he fell on his knees, gave his heart to the Lord. Came to church for a couple of weeks. Then left. When I see him in Walmart, I say, I want to pray for you now. No, no, Pastor, don't pray for me. Don't pray for me. Because when you pray for me, you tell me some bad things and you tell me some good things and you tell me how bad I've been. And I now need to be in church. I've got his attention. God's got his attention. And he's not going to get away. He can run, but he can't hide because God puts me in contact with him. Every couple of months, I run into him again. He's, oh, not you, Pastor. Leave me alone. I said, you're running from God. He says, yes, I know I'm running from God, but leave me alone. I said, okay, that's cool. I won't do a thing. But God knows. You can run, but you can't hide. And God's going to get him. And God's going to bring him into church, and he's going to be saved. And he's sitting on the front row on that side, in fact. Sitting right there between Daniel and Kimmy. He's sitting over there with his wife. I know he's going to be sitting there. I know exactly where he's sitting. He's right there with this big grin on his face. Glory to God. But he's running. Joseph got thrown into a pit. This man can run, but he can't hide because I've already seen him sitting there. The scary thing is I've seen another woman sitting in the church as well, and she scares me. Glory to God. Because she's one of those that needs to submit, and she won't submit. Yeah, hallelujah. Let's go a little bit further here. Verse 30 of chapter 14. If anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one. In other words, if Daniel has a prophecy, and Kimmy has a prophecy, and, Daniel, and, Dave, and Micah has a prophecy, and Craig has a prophecy, and all four of them come to me first and ask me to confirm each word, and three don't line up with the fourth one, the fourth one won't share his prophecy, the three that line up will, because the chances are the fourth one's out. Amen. Now, if you're the one that's out, don't get your nose out of joint because I've said you can't share it and let the other three share it. The last thing we need in the church is confusion. And just maybe one out of four missed it. I can't see three people missing it and the fourth one getting it. Amen. However, the three might have missed it and the fourth one gets it. And then I say, well, Daniel, you're the only one who prophesies today. The other three, you missed it. Don't now get your nose out of joint because I missed it. There are times when you're not allowed to share a prophecy. And it's happened to me. And I've been told, no, that's not for the season. And I sit down and shut up. It's not a big deal. I did my bit. I went to the pastor and I shared it with the pastor. The pastor said, no. I said, okay, it's fine. I'm not going to get my nose out of joint because the Lord told me, sit under that man, share it with that man. I shared it with that man. That man didn't want me to share it with anybody else. It's off me. No longer my requirement. Amen. 
Can we say amen? amen? Verse 32. And this is the one that always gets us into trouble. You see, there's something about a prophet or a prophetic person that makes him a maverick. You all know what a maverick is? A maverick is a bit of a rebel. They always want to do things independently of anybody else. Mavericks are always independent. Prophets and prophets people flowing the prophetic are always independent. I sometimes call them rebels. Miriam and Aaron. Didn't we not also hear from God? And I say this as gently and as most love as I can. That's what makes them such good people to have around. But if you can't, if you cannot submit to one man, you will never make it in the ministry. There's going to be times when the pastor misses it, and you get it, and there'll be times when you miss it, and the pastor gets it. It doesn't matter whether he misses it or not, you've got to be in submission. And a prophet type person, a prophetic anointing type person, a person who prophesies and has that gift, is always going to want to get into a fight about it. Because you've got this word from God, you've got this revelation, and you want to share it. And you're going to think to yourself, the first thing you're going to think to yourself is, well, the pastor's afraid <coughs> of me because I'm going to share the limelight. I'm going to take the limelight off him, and I'm going to have the limelight, and right there and then you've just sinned. Right there and there you've sinned, because this is not about the limelight, this is about the responsibility. This is not about limelight, it's about responsibility. And if you think that you're taking limelight from me because I don't want you to prophesy, you are in serious trouble. And the only way you can protect your heart is to keep your nose in the book. Because your nose is out of the book, your pride will get in the way. Intercessors, prophets, prayer warriors, people who dream and vision and watchmen are the most difficult people to try and manage in one church ever. And it's worse if you've got a prophetic anointing as the pastor because then you have all these people coming into that church who are prophetically inclined, who have prophetic anointing, who are intercessors and watchmen, and they all want to prophesy at some stage or another. And they all want to know why their word's not special and why aren't they treated as special because God gave them a special message. And everybody wants to feel special. And if God has spoken a special message to you over the church, you want to share that special message with the church because God gave it to you. And you want to treat it like gold. And then you come to the pastor and the pastor says no. And you're like, well, what's up with you? This is a special word from God for the church. Why don't you receive it as a special gift? And the pastor says no. And then you get your nose out of joint because, well, the pastor missed it. Glory to God. I'm going to go to another church where the pastor doesn't miss it. And he's not afraid of me sharing because he just hogs that pulpit for himself. And the pastor's so bad. And you've just stepped into rebellion and Satan's just zapped you. If I miss it, you're covered. And there's going to be times when you're tested, where God gives you a special message. And you come to the pastor and the pastor, and I say, no. And you get mad. And the only way you can guard your heart is to keep it soft. And the only thing that circumcises your heart is the Word of God. If you're not in the Word of God, I've seen intercessors get mad at me and leave the church. And take off the church with them. Get mad at me because I would not share the Word that they got from heaven. That was a false word. They, they, well, praise God. I need, I need to go into the Word. But it didn't come to pass. The only way you keep your heart safe is in the Word of God. You need to be in the Word of God. If you are having dreams and visions, if you're an intercessor or a watchman, you need to spend more time in that Word than anybody else. Because you need to protect your heart. You've got to understand something, that Satan will give you dreams and visions too. And so will your pastor. Too much pasta will give you dreams and visions too. If you're not in the Word, you won't know Jesus' voice. And Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And the only way you get to know His voice is to get to know Him personally. Amen. Every prophecy needs to be judged according to the Word of God. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it's not wrong. It's wrong. 
Show me anywhere in the Word of God where the Virgin Mary appears to anybody, and I'll believe it. It doesn't happen in the Bible. It doesn't happen in today's society. Now, I'm using the Virgin Mary because that's, a, that's an example that, that's happened more than once, and it's believed in the Catholic Church. If we look in the Bible, the only people that appear to people are angels and Jesus Christ. Amen. So we know that's not true. We also know that Satan can appear like an angel of light. And he's appeared to me before like an angel of light. But the offer he made was definitely not of God. Because even in my infantile mind, I knew God wouldn't offer me something like that. It's too good to be true. If it's too good to be true, it's not true. <laughs> There's no such offer that's too good to be true. It's not true. We need to be firmly in the word, people, especially us because we are intercessors. We are called to intercede on behalf of other churches. We are called to pray for one another. We have dreams and visions. And you're not going to be able to judge the dream and vision until you have a firm background in the word of Jesus. And know what he says and how he talks to prophets. Amen. You are no account without the word of God. The spirit of God is easy for us to enter into and to accept. Because we are spirit-based church. We happy clappies or full gospel, charismatics. We enjoy the Holy Spirit's presence. Do you know some Pentecostal church, just if you don't have tongues every Sunday, then God would not show up. Amen. And most charismatic churches are, if someone doesn't get all shaky and fall down, then God wasn't there. And a lot of those churches never get into the Word. We need to be in the Word more than any other church. Because getting into the Spirit is so easy for us. And having the Spirit move is so easy for us. It's the second way of life. We can go into tongues anywhere. We can pray in the Spirit anywhere. I pray in the Spirit in the bathroom. So to make sure I've got that balance in my life, I spend more time in the Word than I do in the Spirit because I know that it will restore the balance. Amen. When, when charismatic churches first started, people, most of the pastors had no education and they're all spirit-based. And slowly but surely, that's been changing to charismatic pastors now have a seminary education and are in the spirit. And that is a far better person to be under because there's balance. We need to have the word and the spirit. We can't have one and not the other. If you have one and not the other, you are unbalanced. Someone who prophesies all the time and never opens the Bible is going to get flaky and out into left field. We've seen it happen. Amen. We're going to finish that up here. The last sentence, verse 32. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You need to subject yourself or submit yourself to somebody who is a prophet. Amen. Glory to God. Everyone say amen. amen. Now, you can't submit yourself to a prophet if you don't recognize that prophet. Is that true? Amen. We know the anointing's flowing tonight because it's the third battery I'm on. Bless you. If you don't recognize that prophet, you won't submit yourself to a prophet. And the other thing is, a lot of people are not comfortable in submission. That's, that's pretty much the sign of a prophet or a prophetic person. Because they're never comfortable with submission. But that strength is a double-edged blade. It's also your weakness. Amen. That strength is also your weakness. Submission for a prophet is the most important aspect of your life. I've got to finish this up. That's where I'm finishing up, right there. Submission for a prophet is the most important aspect of your life. Because if you submit it to a man of God who's in the Word, you'll get in the Word too, and everything else will line up. There are far too many flaky prophets out there running around without a pastor, without a church, and they haven't been in a pastor or church in years and years. And no one's going to give them recognition. Well, nobody with the right mind will. Mark Bredenkamp, who's a prophet in South Africa, has been under the same pastor since the day he got saved. 
If that man says to you at 5 past 2 on Sunday morning, on the 18th of April, 2004, you're going to fall pregnant, we're going to give birth, you will give birth at 5 past 2. Not a minute before, not a minute after. He's so accurate, he gives you date, time, minute. But he's been on the same pastor for 15 years. Same pastor. And let me tell you, his pastor's tough. He's not soft like me, he's a tough man. He's hardcore man. He's really a hard man to be under. He's a prophet. Go figure. He's hard. He's really a hard man to be under. But Mark will not leave him because God planted him there from the day he got saved. And Mark's prophecies are so spot on accurate. They make Kim Clements look like child's play. But he's submitted. He's totally, totally submitted to a man of God who's really a hard man to be under. This is the hard past. I mean, this is a... I would never, ever judge Mark for leaving. But he says, I'm yet to stay until the day God moves me. And he's stuck it out. And he's been through some stuff. And one day, God willing, we're going to get Mark Britton come out here to prophesy and preach. Because the man knows some stuff. He's got a doctorate degree, but he knows some stuff about the Greek and the Hebrew. And he takes it apart. He puts it to pieces. He, he goes on a fast for 40 days. How many of you have been on a fast for 40 days recently? He does a 40-day fast. I need to pray for your arm. He spends a 40-day fast before he comes to preach. Now, when he walks into that pulpit, he's vibrating in the spirit. He's jumping. He's bouncing. But everything is scriptural. He reads the Bible. He preaches from the Bible. He gives you scripture verse before he prophesies anything. And everything he says, you back up with scripture. The man's an awesome man of God. I mean, he really... I'm, I stand before him like, I mean, wow. I know I'm in the presence of a man of God now. He's got some depth. And he's rooted on the Bible. Amen. Well, glory to God. That's, that's finishing that one up. I said a mouthful. Let's stop right there. Thank you, Jesus.